Hello, humans. So for those of you who do not know, the Respect for Marriage Act, or the RFMA, or the RMA, it passed the House in a 258 to 169 vote with the help from 39 pseudo-Republicans, all in the name of progress. And in case you don't know what this bill is about, even though you most certainly should, it is a bill that forces recognition of a homosexual marriage as being a genuine and authentic marriage. And it is potentially extremely disastrous for anyone who runs a for-profit company. Now, many wolves in sheep's clothing, such as the writer for this Christianity Today, Carl Esbeck, says that law tries to balance the unquestionable goodness of traditional marriage with America's changing views on same-sex relationships. And then he also wrote that in a morally pluralistic society, a few concessions yield a win for the common good. And then he concluded the article by saying, all in all, RMA is a modest but good day's work. It shows that religious liberty champions and LGBT advocates can work together for the common good. Wow. Wow. How telling for the signs of our time that Christianity Today, once the flagship evangelical publication, chose to publish an op-ed offering support for a bill that enshrines homosexual unions into our national laws. And how alarming that someone who calls himself a Christian says that wickedness is considered common good. So I think Isaiah 5.20 would be appropriate for this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. God warned me in a vision back in January of 2021 that the apostasy is already here and it will continue to get worse. The wolves are actively promoting corruption and pushing compromise, causing the collapse of true Christianity, allowing the church to be devoured by demonic progressives from the inside out. It's like a cancer. And of course, all of this stems back from America's decision to become Sodom and Gomorrah when the Supreme Court ruled in 2015 that gay marriage should be declared legal in all the U.S. states. Now, despite what the wolves in the sheep's clothing will tell you about the RMA, the national climate is already hostile toward Christians who are unwilling to violate their conscience and who, at best, they end up spending years in costly legal battles, battles where the charges against them that are finally dismissed, hopefully, but at the worst case scenario, they lose their businesses, their reputations are ruined, and they are even found guilty by the courts. Now, truly... The only thing that this bill will actually achieve is putting a target on every Christian who refuses to bow down to woke ideology. And yes, this has now opened Pandora's box, which will inevitably lead to churches having the government in their control. The government will control them and uh, by threats of them losing their 501c3 tax status. Mark my words. My words are now recorded and they're published for the world to remember. In the future, you are going to see the great refinement of all the churches. You're going to see who the true churches actually are and who pretended to be shepherds so that they could acquire wealth while living in comfort, convenience, safety, and security. Now, for Christians like myself, 
We have only three options by which to live out our beliefs. One, we speak the truth out from love. Two, we feel intimidated and we lie so as not to offend. Or three, we remain fearful and we cower in silence. No, no, for me, the first option is the only option. Now, some people may believe that truth is unloving, but truly, Speaking the truth is the most loving thing I can do for you, for it is only in truth that you will be set free. And so, without further ado, in this video, I am going to put your tolerance and inclusivity to the test. Now truly, if you're not going to persecute Christians, well then you shouldn't have a problem with this video where a Christian expresses his religious beliefs, right? How ironic that it is called the Respect for Marriage Act. If you truly desire to express respect for marriage, then we need to respect the one and only one who initiated marriage and validates it, God. And so this video is going to be a defense of marriage in order to express respect for marriage. I am merely responding to a demand for us to approve of something that is clearly wrong. And that is why this is a defense and not an attack. Truly, you're the ones who attacked marriage. So now here's my defense. Marriage is important to defend because the disintegration of the definition of marriage, it will create at least three catastrophic consequences. One, the denigration of biblical authority. Two the sexual exploitation of children, and three, the loss of coherent definition of family. Even if one rejected God, the truth about marriage would still be evident. Look, ancient thinkers such as Xenophanes, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Rufus, Plutarch, they all reached remarkably similar views of marriage. Now, even in the cultures uh, favorable to homoerotic relationships, such as in ancient Greece, something akin to the uh, conjugal view has always prevailed. Nothing like same-sex marriage was even considered. So, even anthropology affirms what biology confirms. Now, it's important to understand that one simply cannot express respect for marriage or defend marriage without marriage first being defined. And before I even define marriage, it must be noted as a disclaimer, definition is not discrimination. No, the definition of marriage does not discriminate against anyone or anything found beyond the boundaries of the definition. A distinction does not mean that there is uh, unfair discrimination. Exclusion does not equate to discrimination. Truth is absolute, and it is narrowly defined. Truth by its very nature excludes all lies. Marriage is defined as a covenant between one male and one female, both being of a proper age of maturity that would enable a mutual consent to a lifelong partnership that is de designed to unite the two as one in a committed relationship. The union of the two as one should not be detached, divided, disconnected, or divorced unless death separates them or the sin of sexual immorality defiles the covenant and creates a chasm between the commitment that would cause division. Therefore, 
All homosexual relations are excluded from the definition of marriage. Every person, animal, and object found outside the defined boundaries of marriage are simply unqualified to exist within the definition. It's simple. And if any and every type of relationship should be called marriage, well, then it's no longer a helpful term. Marriage cannot mean everything or everyone, or else marriage means nothing. Same-sex marriage is not about including those wrongly excluded from an existing institution. No, it's about completely recasting and redefining that institution while continuing to use the same name. And truly, no human possesses the authority to redefine what God has already defined. So, what does God say about marriage? What does God's word say about marriage? In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve with the original design of marriage, which is one male, one female for one lifetime, as we see in Genesis 2, 18-24. The word of God says that the monogamous male-female union introduced in Genesis is the only model of sexual behavior consistently praised in both Old and New Testaments. Now, many apostates and children of the devil, specifically the progressive Christianity, which by the way, progressives are not Christians at all, they will publicly proclaim lies about God's word, such as Leviticus 18.22. They claim that it was mistranslated and that it should state that pedophilia is wrong, not homosexuality. But that is a blatant, bold-faced lie which comes directly from the devil. Leviticus 18.22 in Hebrew says, You shall not lie with zachar, which means male, as you would with isha, which means a wife, woman, female. And this pertains specifically to gender, not age. In Hebrew, a boy or a young man is the word yeled, such as the little boy that Naomi nursed in Ruth 4.16. And yalda means girl. Go ahead and compare Joel 3.3 and Zechariah 8.5 to see the difference. The ancient and eternal word of God in this matter is clear. God's design for sexual relation is one male and one female, and both biology and anthropology affirm this to be true. Now, at this point, many apostates, children of the devil, uh, example 1946 the movie, and everybody affiliated with it, they will inevitably argue that Jesus never addressed the issue of homosexuality and that the Bible never included the word homosexual until 1946. Again, simply not true, bold-faced, blatant lie by workers of Satan. Examine nine, Matthew 19, 4-6. Hey, look, would you look at that? That's the real 1946. Jesus answered and he said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And so when Jesus said, He who created them from the beginning, that word beginning is Arche, and it comes from archomai, which means through the implication of precedence, to commence, in order of time, to begin. 
thus arche means from the beginning. When was that? Oh yeah, Genesis. And the English title Genesis comes from the Septuagint, which is the pre-Christian Greek translation of the Pentateuch, which means origin or beginning, which is an apt title because Genesis is all about origins or the beginning. In fact, the very first phrase in Hebrew in the text of Genesis 1-1 means in the beginning. And when Jesus said, a man shall leave his father and mother, father, pater, mother, mater. Now, why is father and mother important? Well, father is male, mother is female. Jesus affirms the original design from the beginning. What is the design? Male and female are to be joined together as one, as previously mentioned from Genesis 2, 18 to 24. And when Jesus said, and be joined to his wife, that word joined, kalao, which means to be joined, together, glued, or cemented, becoming one, bonded together, now inseparable. And he goes on later, and he says, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So that joined together is sudzugnumi, which is a, a compounded word from sun and zugas. The word sun means with or together, denoting union, and the word zugas indicates a couple, like an oxen would be yoked together. Thus, the word means a union of two who become yoked together, and in proper context, this means that a male and a female become yoked together and become a union, working together as one unit, both traveling in the same direction. Therefore, Jesus himself affirms the original design for any marriage as being one male, one female. It has been this way since the beginning. And again, basic biology confirms this to be true. But it, the Bible goes on. God's word goes on. Romans 1, 26 to 27. It says, For this reason God gave them over to their degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So when it says God gave them over to their degrading passions, that word degrading, is atimia and comes from atimas, which means without honor. There is no honor present to even lower. But that word atima, atimia, atimia means to lower down from a place of honor, and it signifies shame and disgrace because of the move away from honor. And God gave them over to their degrading passions. That passion is pathos, which means an affection of the mind, which uh, it stimulates a passionate desire. Now, used by the Greeks of either good or bad desires, however, it is always used in the New Testament to describe bad desires. So in proper context, this passionate desire is one of lust, and that is why it is a dishonorable passion. And then it says, exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. So that word natural is the word fusikas, which means according to nature, governed by natural instincts, 
such as in nature itself, where nature produces, germinates, pollinates, sprouts, and brings forth new life. In context, this refers to the female naturally needing the male's seed in order to produce. And this is why male and female is according to nature and is the natural design. And again, biology confirms this to be true. But unnatural, when it says for unnatural, that is the phrase parafusis. And this means against nature, contrary to nature, or opposed to nature, which will not bring forth or produce. So in other words, it is a blatant rebellion against God's command to be fruitful and multiply. And then it says they were committing indecent acts. So that word, indecent, askemasune. And this, I mean, it does mean indecent or unseemliness. But it also means nakedness and shame. And we see this same word used in Revelation 16, 15, which says, Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes, so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And it says they receive the penalty of their error. Error. Plane. Which is a wandering away from truth and or morality. It is akin to planao. And, and a wandering and forsaking of the right path. Now, whether this is doctrine or in morals, though in scripture, doctrine and morals, they link together. In fact, errors in doctrine are not infrequently the effect of relaxed morality and vice versa. So look, altogether in proper context, Romans 1, 26 to 27 says that a male acting on degrading, lust-filled passion for another male is unnatural just as a female with female is unnatural. And so again, the original design of a male and female is affirmed. But God's word goes on. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor effeminate homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when it said that word effeminate, that is malachas, which means soft, effeminate, a male who dresses and or acts as a female, voluptuous. It could even refer to a catamite, a boy kept for homosexual practices. And when it says homosexuals, that is that word, and which is a compounded word here. So the first word is arseng, which means male or man. And by the way, this is the same word Jesus used in Matthew 19.4 when he said, He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And the second word is koite. And which primarily means a place for lying down, but it also means a marriage bed. It is used in reference to cohabitation and sexual intercourse. Thus, arsenokortai does mean a homosexual or a sodomite, which is a male who lies with a male as with a female. And that is the exact condemnation as it is written in Leviticus 18.22. And I've already covered that. But the God's word goes on. 1 Corinthians 7.2 but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife. Each woman is to have her own husband. So, one male, one female. 
In 1 Timothy 1, 9-10, it says, Realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, immoral men, homosexuals, there's that word again, arsenal corti, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Therefore, homosexuality is in the category of lawlessness, which is contrary to what is right. God's word goes on. 1 Timothy 3.2 An overseer then must be above reproach the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able, able to teach. So again, one male, one female. That's the design. 1 Timothy 3.12 Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, good managers of their children and their own households. So again, one male, one female. Okay, but now it is at this point that the apostates, the children of the devil, will attempt to argue that homosexuality has been documented in the animal kingdom and so it should be accepted as something natural. However, that is a fallacious argument. That is a category mistake. You are not a mere animal. No, rather you are a human being created in the image of God. As it is written, Genesis 1, 26-27. Should the actions of animals really be imitated? Really? Animals often murder other animals for nothing more than territorial issues. There have been several documented incidents where an animal murders another animal. It doesn't even eat it. Now, even for those that protect their own kind, ooh, how great, but do they love their neighbors? Do they love their enemies? Some animals, they even eat their young. Okay, but that doesn't mean that we should be cannibals. Dogs eat their own vomit. That is not good behavior to emulate there, no. Some insects, they devour their partners after mating. Please, do not do not do that. We simply cannot use animal behavior as a basis for morality or to justify our sinful desires. In fact, in most cases, animals are the examples of what not to do. Animals are unable to sin because they don't have a mind capable of accountability, nor do they have the moral law written on their hearts as humans do. No, morality is objective. It's for humans. Without the absolute moral standard, everything would be mere preference. Nothing could be wrong. Logic proves that moral relativism is absolutely absurd. We are not mere animals, and yes, we will be held accountable for our actions, for our choices. No living thing until God made woman was even capable of becoming one flesh with the man. In Genesis 2.18, God pronounced the absence of woman as being not good because it left man alone, incapable of accomplishing God's purposes for humanity in his world. Scripture conveys marriage as being closely tied to procreation and both biology and anthropology confirm this. Marriage is an institution created by God for unique and particular purposes. These purposes are evident even if God's existence is denied. In light of the way God originally made the world, we can better see human relationships in the larger context of what God intended them to be. Only in recent decades 
Has there been any sort of attempt to argue that the Bible does not expressly condemn sexual relationships of every kind outside the context of marriage? Jesus grounded his ideas about marriage in what we might call God's created intent. So the world in which we now live is not the way it was supposed to be. Homosexuality is an unnatural condition that God never intended, but which exists as one of many manifestations of fallen human nature. Listen, just as a junkyard is not the best place to learn how to build cars, so too our corrupt culture, fallen sinful society, and personal preferences, they are not the best place to learn how to build marriages. Junkyards usually reveal what comes of a creation when it is not properly cared for. The damage is evident. Law tends to shape beliefs. Beliefs shape behavior. Beliefs and behavior affect human interests and human well-being. Now, as we deprive marriage policy of definite shape, we deprive it of public purpose. The logic of rejecting the conjugal conception of marriage thus leads by the way of formlessness toward pointlessness. Look, consider the following example by Maggie Gallagher. She said, There is no reason in the world why we or the law cannot redefine cat to mean furry domestic animal with four legs and a tail. Defining cat in this way has certain advantages. It reveals the deep underlying similarities, for example, between those two formerly opposite classifications, dog and cat, not to mention gerbil, rabbit, and guinea pig. What is lost in redefining cat in this way? Well, there is one little thing. We now no longer have a word that means cat. And if we want to speak to each other about cats, we will either have to invent a new term or hope it will still communicate the full valence of the, the old word, which with uh, rich with historic associations and symbolic overtones. Or we will have to do without a word for cat at all. <laughs> One might reasonably foresee without charting all the particular specific mechanisms that it might become harder to communicate an idea for which we no longer have any word. So, if we change the definition of a word, multiple other associated words would need to change as well. If you change the meaning of the word, you change the thing itself. Extending marriage to same-sex couples leaves us without a word for that unique relationship that has always been called marriage, whether in the Bible, from biology, or known throughout human history from anthropology. Changing the definition of marriage is an attempt to alter history in addition to the future. Now, unfortunately, our sinful society has done just that. Now, first, they destroyed marriage by redefining it and then they destroyed females by redefining gender and what it means to be female. And guess who the demons are coming after next? Children. In order for pedophilia to become legal, marriage had to be redefined because love had to be redefined. 
If marriage is simply defined by affection and companionship, then what will stop pedophiles from claiming discrimination? The truth is that the pedophile movement could not have made significant gains like it already has if the gay rights movement had not paved the way by challenging and changing the definition of marriage and restrictions on immoral sexual behavior. And for this reason, MAP exists, and they call themselves minor attracted persons, and they convey their immorality as age gap love. If homosexuality is to be deemed right because they can't help who they love, it is the same for minor attracted persons. And now, many people are trying to push for minor attraction rights, arguing that it is an orientation that is natural and it can't be helped. Do you not understand? And if human beings are to be fair to each other, how will it be possible to permit marriage to some and exclude others? In this regard, it's kind of similar to the fair housing laws or equal opportunity employment. At what point will tolerance topple truth and take over? Well, I say it already has. The foundation has already crumbled. We are in the fall. The approval of same-sex marriages has already started the domino effect. Think about it. Why? I mean, why couldn't a woman marry her dog that she loves? Oh, well, so some say, well, that's too far. That's too far. Yeah, but really? Is it? Would it be? Once laws are changed for some, it becomes a violation against those who have not yet been included. I mean, after all, you're all about inclusivity, right? Inclusiveness is progress, right? Those who are not included, they cry out terms such as discrimination, intolerance, hatred, bigotry, and even injustice. But even if marriage remains to be between people only, well, why couldn't brother and sister get married? Huh? Are they not two consenting adults? Why can't a 34-year-old male marry a 13-year-old female? Many cry out, how can love be wrong? How can love be wrong? But where is the line between right and wrong? The approval of one previously taboo practice paves the way, makes room for the approval of the next more serious taboo. Once truth becomes relative, right is only in the sight of the beholder and consequence becomes obsolete. Happiness becomes their god and they sacrifice everyone for the sake of self. No longer pursuing purpose, they pursue pleasure. Now at a practical level, redefining marriage based on the sincerity of a couple's commitment or the depth of their affection disconnects marriage from procreation and family. And if not tied to procreation, I mean, why even limit it to a couple? Now, what if three or more people share a sincere commitment and deep affections? In the same name of fairness, marriage would have to extend to consenting polygamous polyamorous couples. Nor could marriage be restricted from incestuous couples, deeply committed friends, or those who believe pedophilia to be right. In this view, 
it is difficult to see why any committed group of persons should be left out of marriage. Also, transgenderism has been making headlines in recent years and it has it's being forced into public schools. Children are being influenced and indoctrinated and they are being allowed to proclaim their own identity without being of a mature age that would enable them to make such an informed and responsible decision. So if a child is supposedly mature enough to proclaim that he is actually a she, or vice versa, and to receive irreversible surgery to, to change gender, why would that same child also not be declared mature enough to proclaim that he or she is in love with a much older person? If that were so, marriage would be forced to also extend to that couple who shares affection with each other, thus granting marriage rights to those who believe pedophilia to be right. Denying and rejecting homosexuality as a genuine and authentic marriage is not hate, it is simple, essential definition. To use hate as an excuse to dismiss the increasingly sophisticated arguments for traditional marriage is intellectually dishonest and cowardly, and it is a textbook example of the logical fallacy known as ad hominem. You're just attacking the character or motivations of those presenting the arguments instead of dealing with the arguments themselves. Claiming discrimination assumes a new definition of marriage as proof for the new definition. It's circular reasoning. Marriage equality, as this is being called, is illogical when examining the definition of marriage. The equality of all persons does not equal the equality of all lifestyles or all relationships. For example, the mere fact that all persons are created equal does not mean that polygamy, ancestral marriage, or pedophilia ought therefore to be made legal. We cannot move logically from the equality of persons to the equality of actions, choices, lifestyles, or relationships. It simply does not follow. So in conclusion, it does not matter what this sinful society declares to be right if it is in fact wrong. I will not affirm, celebrate, or otherwise promote what is wrong. And for this reason, I will not affirm, celebrate, or otherwise promote homosexual relationships as being right. Homosexual relationships have not, are not, and will never be considered as a genuine and authentic marriage because humans do not have the authority to redefine what God has already defined. And just like Peter and all the other apostles said in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. Marriage is defined as a covenant between one male and one female, both being of a proper age, of maturity, that would enable a mutual consent to a lifelong partnership that is, des that is designed to unite the two as one in a committed relationship. The union of the two as one should not be detached, divided, disconnected, or divorced unless death separates them or the sin of sexual immorality defiles the covenant and creates a chasm between the commitment that would cause division. God has spoken. The court is adjourned. <laughs>